This is the Senior Living Truth Series podcast, where we have candid conversations about complex issues facing today's mature adults. No sales pitch, only the truth. I'm Dr. Nikki Buckaloo. Welcome to the show. All right, good morning. How is everybody today? Great. Anybody wish we had more rain? is I want to appreciate our sponsors for helping us make this free. So can we give them a round? I forget to do that some months, and, you know, they get here early. Uh, They bring relevant materials, and every single one of them, including our team, we're all committed to answering questions after the seminar throughout the month. All you got to do is pick up the phone and call, and you're never going to be sold or any of that. And we just, uh, we're so committed to that, so thank you for that. Thank you, sponsors. Appreciate you guys. Okay, so the other thing we're going to do is as we go through today's talk, uh, I'm going to ask the sponsors to be on on ready because I may have you answering some questions for them. Uh, as they come up in our Q&A, and I may have some things on the slides that I may have you guys talk about, because today's topic is the truth about paying for retirement living. Pay for it. I've told somebody I have agonized over this topic for the last month. I've agonized over it. I brought with me today, you guys, about not even a third of the books that I have studied on this topic. And I actually, ironically, got one of my journals from the American Society on Aging that I subscribe to called Generations. The entire journal is devoted to the financing of long-term care. Have you guys ever read an academic journal? Many of you have. You're academics. They're awful. And at the end, you go, what did they even say? And so my goal today is for you to not leave here going, what did she even say? My goal for you today is to leave here with some actionable items, some things to think about, and hopefully some information you didn't have already when you walked in the door. Would that be okay with you? Is that a good goal? Okay. You have handouts. At, uh, in your chairs, and as a matter of fact, let me just tell you what they are so that we're all on the same page. You have your evaluation, as you always do, to fill out before you leave, and then you have two handouts from us. One is the truth about paying for retirement living, and it's got a whole bunch of bullet points on it. I am not going to go over every one of those bullet points, just to be clear, okay? And they are mainly for your information, because there are some There's some data that you need to know and that you're going to want to know. Um, Keeping in mind that if you were to Google all of these things, you're going to find probably at least 25 different answers. And so I would ask you to do me a favor. Oh, by the way, do me a favor today. Please do not put on your evaluation that my grammar and spelling stink today. Please. Because I already know that. I looked at it this morning and I was like, oh my heavens. So if I missed a word here and there or a comma, 
or so, then just ignore it today. Would you do that for me? I would appreciate it, because it's been a week. It's been a real week, right? And so that wasn't uh, my highest priority, although it should still make sense. Now, on the back of that same flyer, there is a list of truths and myths. Those we are going to cover today. And then the second handout that you have is resources. And those are just some phone numbers and things to kind of get you started. Uh, a lot of people ask us throughout these seminars for that information. And then on the back of that, there is a paying for retirement living action steps. Action steps. What do you think that's for? For you to take action. Yes, okay. So that's the teacher and, and coach in me that says, you can leave here today with some really great information and do nothing with it, or you can leave here today with some information and take action on it, which actually might make your situation better uh, or someone else's situation better, yes? Okay. So we're going to start with uh, a couple things I just want to share with you. Uh, before we dive into the how to pay for, I guess the question is, what are we paying for? How many of you think this might be the way you want to retire? This is where you'd like to live. Go ahead, raise your hand. If you'd like to live there, full-time, year-round, raise your hand. Okay, good. Some of you, not all of you. Isn't it interesting, right? Because Chris would be going, uh, no. Because if Chris, thought, Chris is not driving the boat, he doesn't want to be on the boat. He doesn't do cruises. I don't do cruises, but I have a, a cousin... Uh, that lives down in Dallas, and they take about four cruises a year. Some people take several, more than that, a year. There is a lady, her name is Lee, and they call her Mama Lee. You've probably seen her in the news. She actually lives on that cruise ship, and she's 89 years old. She's lived there for 12 years. Not on that specific ship. She's done, a, she had a different ship, and then she relocated to this ship. <clears throat> she lives there year-round. She has her own cabin. You know, ladies, how you have closets that have those hooks that you put necklaces on? She has those in her cabin. Lots of them. She has a clothes rack. Like you would buy it for a retail store. With clothes on it. <clears throat> her cabin is about the size of a, well, a cruise cabin. She has hobbies that she does there. It's her house. She lives there. I, I watched a quick video this morning of her uh, being interviewed by somebody, and they said, how often do you talk? I think it was the captain. She was dancing with the captain at a, at a thing. And he asked her, how often do you talk to your family? And she said, oh, I talk to them every day. And she said, I talk to them twice a day if I needed to, to be able to stay here and not be there. <laughs> Eight, nine years old. She made the decision, her and her husband, before he passed away, cruised a lot. And he told her the day, according to her, and her, she wrote a book, by the way, that you can Google. And, and, What's her name? Uh, uh, Lee, it's on the bottom of that slide. Can anybody pronounce that? Wachstetter. W-A-C-H-T-S-T-E-T-T-E-R. I'm assuming that's, is that German? Yeah. Awesome. She, uh, she said right before her husband passed away, they cruised a lot, he said, never stop cruising. 
And she and her daughter stopped talking, started talking about it, and she said, you know what, I'm going to keep cruising. And then it was like, why don't I just do this? She pays about, I, I, there's mixed records, I'm sure it's from different years, anywhere from $100,000 a year to $164,000 a year is what she spends to live on a cruise ship, which is about the same as someone would pay to live in full-time nursing care and, or memory care. Now, obviously, if she required memory care or nursing care, she couldn't live there, right? But I wanted to give you a comparison, okay? Now, now that I've said that, how many of you would like to live on a cruise ship? <laughs> All right. Because I'm happy to arrange it and be there with you as your caregiver for as long as you need. <laughs> All right. Here are the different reasons uh, people choose where they're going to live in retirement. Some people, like Lee, Mama Lee, they choose adventure, right? This is not in your handout, so you don't need to make notes. This isn't going to be a test. I just want you to think about this. Some people choose time with family. Some people choose security or peace of mind. Most people, I would say, depending on where they are in life, choose that one. Some people choose healthcare. Some people choose image and ego. <clears throat> I'm going to just point this out. I don't care how old you are, there are still people at every age that care what other people think. Some people don't. Some people quit caring or never care. But there are a lot of people I talk to at 85, 90 years old who go, well, I don't know how my friends will think about that place. Well, who cares? Well, they care. Uh, creature comforts. Some people are going to move to a certain place because that's where they feel comfortable and there are certain things about it that make them comfortable. And then lastly, of course, but these are no particular order, friends and social. Okay? Did I miss any? Somebody go ahead and shout it out if I missed it. Money. Money. Some people choose based on money, which is why we're having this conversation today and why I'm going to bust a few myths for you. So the question is, regardless of where you choose to move, and this isn't a talk today about where you're going to move, that's a whole other topic that we cover, right? Today is about how you're going to pay for it, and so we're going to be talking about the different things that you have to think about depending on where you move and why you're moving there, okay? As I said, I agonized over this topic because we've done it before, and you'll remember that we've had panels before where we have a VA aid attendance person and a long-term care insurance person and one of our sponsors that usually is a CCRC. We have people to talk about the actual funding sources, but here's what I realize when we do those talks, is that everybody seems to be looking for a magic bullet, the secret answer. Like they come thinking that I'm going to tell them or our panel is going to tell them something they didn't already know. And so on the evaluations a lot of times they'll say, I was disappointed because I still don't know how to pay for senior living. And I'm like, how does that happen? So today's talk is going to be, it's going to be a little serious. Is that okay? I mean, I, I'm going to, you know me, I'm pretty transparent and candid. I'm going to say some things today that people don't want to hear or don't like to hear, but they're the reality. And it's not um, probably commonplace to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today, but we're going to do it 
because I feel like we owe it to you to be really, really honest about this topic. Uh, in the course of, you know, it's funny how the universe gives you what you need when you need it. When I started researching this topic several months ago for today's talk, all of a sudden the universe started delivering messages to me for me to pay attention to. More than I could put on slides for you today. Right? You ever notice that? When you start thinking about certain things, it's like all of a sudden you start seeing it, right? It's called your reticular activating system. It's a little piece of your brain back here that filters information. So I've heard several quotes in the last several weeks, and here's just a couple of them. This one, I'm at my bank, and I'm literally signing a signature card for a new account that we set up. And uh, I asked the banker, because there was a gentleman there who was uh, at the cashier, and he appeared to be confused, and I wasn't sure if he was intoxicated or if he had some cognitive impairment. But so when I'm in there with my banker, I asked him, I said, what kind of training do your people go through to deal with people that have cognitive impairment? And he goes, well, we have some. You know, they do some continuing education and things like that. He said, but as you know, people place more importance on their money than they do their health. And so we deal with that a lot here. And I went, wow, really? People place more importance on their money than their health. And I started thinking about my real estate experience, and I went, that is absolutely true. <coughs> Here's the other thing that something was a friend of mine said to me the other day. He said, Nikki, money is no object. Surely there is a way to make this happen. And he was looking for a unicorn. I mean, he has a wife that has cognitive impairment and it's beginning to get worse. And he's looking for a solution that does not exist. It does not exist. Not here, not in Florida, not anywhere. And he said, money is no object. And I said, there are some things money cannot buy. But we're not used to being told that, are we? And so that again sparked some of my thought about today's talk. So here's a myth. This is where your handout comes in handy. So we're going to start at the top and work our way down. We're going to go through these fairly quickly, but not real quickly. Rewriting your questions down, if you have some, as we go along here. So... Most people are completely prepared. This is a myth. Most people are completely prepared. They have planned where they're going to live and how they are going to fund their long-term care as they age. You want the truth? Most people, more people, spend more time discussing acceptable dinner plans than they do planning for how they're going to fund their long-term care. Tell me that's not true. Chris and I have a conversation daily. What are we going to have for dinner? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. I'm not that hungry. Well, I don't know. Well, let's go have steak. I don't want steak. Well, let's go have Chinese. I don't want Chinese. You guys get my drift? Yeah. If, you're, if you're married, raise your hand right now. Tell me if that's a common conversation for you. Right. This is why women are ready to move to a community. Right, Elizabeth? Amen. We are so tired of having that conversation. And by the way, in my house, Chris is ready to move to a community because he's usually the one that gets to cook. <laughs> Second myth. Oh, well, this is a this is a quote that came up for me in that in the in the vein of that topic. I heard this this weekend. Uh, my neighbor said this. She said, 
in, in regard to one of our neighbors at our, in our condo complex. She said, her son called me the other night and asked me to check on her, talking about the neighbor. I don't have a key, she said. I told him to call 911. They're going to have to do something, she said. The lady downsized into the condo where we live 30 years ago. That was going to be her forever house. But now she's got some cognitive impairment, and she lives there by herself, and she's fallen down the stairs. And when that happens, she calls her son, and her son calls a neighbor instead of calling 911. And we found out why he didn't want to call 911, and he said because they will bust the door down, and it's expensive to replace those. So guess what? When he called 911, he instructed the fire department to climb over the garage and into the atrium and enter the back door, which stays unlocked. What is he more concerned about? Money. Just saying. Myth. Number two, it will be cheaper to build a forever house equipped for our long-term care needs than to move to a community setting. Is that true? I don't know. Here's the truth. What you need and perceive you're going to need in your 60s or 70s changes as you reach your 80s and beyond, which is what happened with this lady in my neighborhood and three others. They did what they thought was going to be their forever house, and some of them live in flats. Some live in townhomes. But the reality of it is, after a certain point, and it's not necessarily age-related, is it? It's circumstance. So if your health declines, cognitive or physical, that may change. So the question of, is it cheaper, I don't know the answer to that. It might be, but it might not be cheaper. So my answer to this one is, if you're going to build a forever house, Please don't overbuild your forever house. Because what happens is sometimes people will dump all their money, like all of it, into the forever house. And you remember the, the, the talk we had about sunk cost? Then when they do need to move into some other type of arrangement and they go to sell that house, they go, well, I need 500000 out of this house because that's what I have in it. And I go, well, that's great, but it's only worth two hundred. dollars then that $300,000 that you lost, that's a hypothetical number, could have been used towards your care, yeah? So be smart if you do decide to build a forever house, just in case, right? Next myth, higher fees and newly remodeled buildings must mean that the community is better than all the others that are not newly remodeled, right? True. The quality of care, the quality of care is totally unrelated to the way a community looks or what they charge, frankly. And sometimes the older communities that are a little more dated actually have the best care. Not always. And older communities do remodel and they do fix up and things like that. But I will tell you that I have had people go, per our instructions, go to communities and visit and when I asked them what they thought they would tell me well that community's fresh and they got new this and new that and that's where they're going to move and I'm like so you based your decision on the color of paint and carpet they have well yeah 
because it must be better if it's fresh. Reality check. Not at all true. Not at all true. Okay. Um, this was somebody that a client of ours who moved to a community I won't mention. They're not a sponsor. Um, they chose this community on their own. We really didn't have any involvement in their selection process. And here's something she said when Anya helped her move. I'm paying over $4,000 to live here. You would think someone would have at least come to welcome me. Nobody came. She had to go down to the front desk just to get her key. Hmm. So if you're paying $4,000 a month to live someplace, could you, should you expect someone to actually greet you? Uh, Jill, should they? Yes. Julie, should they? She thinks. Yeah, you should. But how do you know if they're going to do that or not? You've done your homework, right? You've done your homework. That's their culture. They usually have a welcoming crew. I know most of our communities have a welcoming crew, don't they, Caitlin? Yeah, it's either a staff or it's a resident, but they're going to come and welcome you. Yeah. All right, so myth, not-for-profit communities are less expensive than for-profit communities. Not true. Fees are similar regardless of whether they're for-profit or not-for-profit. However, what is different is that not-for-profits have a different way of allocating their funds. What for-profits do is it goes, their, their money goes to shareholders, right? It goes to their owners or their shareholders. A not-for-profit, where does the money go? Back into the community, right? So they have a little bit more discretion about how their funds are used, and it's usually based on a board of directors as opposed to a, uh, I mean, they, yeah, based on a board of directors instead of a ownership group. Now, I'm not, as you can see, this is not a good or bad thing. It's just a point of comparison, and you have to know. Now, I added to that that not-for-profits usually have some sort of benevolence fund. Now, somebody in the sponsorship group can correct me if I'm wrong, because I could be, but I've never heard of a for-profit community that if you ran out of money and you lived there, you ran out of money, that they would let you stay. True or not true? Caitlin? Well, unless you're on a life care contract. Okay, thank you. I'll add that. So. All things considered, if you're just in a regular community and it's a for-profit community, you're not going to get to stay. Some not-for-profits have a, a, a fund of some sort. They may call it a benevolence fund. They may call it an endowment fund. They may call it whatever. But what they do, and they're usually faith-based, not always, they raise money to have a, a, a cushion for those residents who need it. And they can stay there so they don't let them leave. They keep them there. Uh, and they pay for their, their care. Baptist Retirement Villages is a good example. They, uh, if you go to their website, I know Concordia has a benevolence fund, Spanish Cove has one. I was reading about Baptist Retirement Villages. You know, they actively raise money, and a lot of their parishioners in the Baptist Conference leave their estate to that fund. And so what happens is that money, you know, just like a university or anything else, then can be used towards the care of the residents and they also scholarship people who can't afford to live there. Okay? Now to Caitlin's point, if it's a life care contract, and that's different than a if you run out of money thing, it, if you are uh, like 
I will tell you that Spanish Cove and Bradford Village and Concordia all have what's called a life care contract option. You're going to pay an entry fee to move there. The contract states that if you outlive your money, they will keep you and you will, the, your care will be funded for your life at whatever level of care you require. Now, there's some confusion out there because people think that if someone moves to a community like the three I named and others that are around like that, that assuming that they move there, that they have life care. That's not true. There are different types of contracts at all of these communities and a life care contract will cost you more on the front end. But it gives you the peace of mind on the back end that you don't have to worry about because you have to qualify financially to move there. So they do their due diligence. They say, okay, it appears you have adequate funds based on some actuarials and things like that. But if for some reason you don't, due to no fault of your own, you didn't gamble it away, you didn't give it to your kids, you didn't hide it in Costa Rica, <laughs> then they'll continue to pay for your care. Okay, so that that's, and for people with means, if you have the ability to make an entry fee payment and have a life care contract, that's definitely an option. If you don't have the money for that, then it's not an option, which means you may want to look at it if you think, gosh, I may outlive my money, you may want to ask those questions when you go to these communities, what happens if I run out of money, right? And we'll talk about that here in a minute, about what you do. If you, if you run out of money, here are your options, okay? All right. Next one, for-profit senior communities only care about profits, not about residents. Myth, that was the myth, true. There are for-profit communities owned by reputable and well-managed companies who care about their residents and do put their needs first. It's a leadership issue, not an ownership issue. There are not-for-profits that I would not encourage you to move to because leadership, not because of the type of community. There are for-profits that I could absolutely recommend, and we have some here that are sponsors. The Mansions, Hefner and Southwest, Villaton Park, Bradford Village. You guys are for-profit, not-for-profit, remind me. For-profit. For-profit. There are CCRC for-profit, Spanish Cove and Concordia are CCRCs that are not-for-profit. Here's the thing that I think is important is you've got to ask about their leadership. You've got to ask about their philosophy of care. Um, we've got Mike here, who's a consultant um, who works all around the country with all kinds of CCRCs. And they all have different value systems, don't they, Mike? Very much, yeah. And what I've found is that people will move to a community thinking that, you know, they're going to get taken care of or be spoken to a certain way or things are done a certain way and then they're disappointed. But they didn't do their homework on the front end. And so how do you do that? You know, it's not just about the money. Because I will tell you that a lot of people I'm talking to are choosing where they're going to live based on money. And if money is your priority, when you make a selection, then unfortunately you may be disappointed because some of the communities that have the worst leadership and the worst care are offering the best deals. Do I need to say that again? Some of the communities who have the worst leadership and the worst care are offering the best deals. 
and let that sink just a second. Where is it? There it is. So here's a quote. This happened to me last week. As I said, God's been preparing me for this talk for a month or more. So I had a conversation with a friend who was a former colleague of mine. He said, he's talking about his wife, and he said, yes, I love her, and I want the best care for her. That was one of the first things he said. So we had lots of conversations around this, gave him lots of recommendations, questions to ask. Later, in another conversation, he said, I just can't see paying what those communities you told me about are charging. Well, I'm, of course, my question, I'm pretty blunt. Well, what happened to I just want the best care possible for her? Back to I just can't see paying that much. Another conversation. Nikki, we made a decision. Here's where we're going to move. Much to my surprise. And I said, well, what made you decide? And his comment was, the other place gave me a deal. I just couldn't pass it up. There's a reason they gave him a deal. They can't get anybody else to move in there. There's a reason car dealerships give you a deal on a car. They have quotas to meet, or that car is a piece of shit. <laughs> Two reasons. And I don't understand how smart people, and these are smart people with a lot of money, by the way. These are not people who don't have the money. $500,000 house to sell, plenty of money in the bank, Nikki money is no object, got a deal. And is going to put his wife, put his wife who had a stroke and cannot get out of bed by herself in a community that was recently told by the state that they were going to remove Medicare reimbursement. Now, I'm going to move on because Chris says I beat this horse too long. But I think you get my point, right? The money part of this cannot be your final decision. Of course it has to be part of your decision, but it cannot be your final decision. I think I said that, sorry. Yeah. For-profit senior communities only care about profits, not about residents. No, we know that's not true. The stated price on company marketing materials are the prices people all will be charged. Will be charged. Okay, this is why I get to say this and I don't ask one of our panelists to say this because I love you guys. I know you're all marketing and salespeople, but here's the reality. Everything's negotiable, yeah? To a point. And what their marketing materials state is a starting point. However, if a community has a high demand, and the reason they have a high demand is because they probably are you know, a waiting list or they have really great ratings and they know that they can get that amount of money, right? It's kind of like why I go to certain restaurants. I'm willing to pay more for a steak there because it's a guarantee it's going to be a good steak, right? So there are communities that aren't going to negotiate. The fee is what the fee is. Take it or leave it. It's because they don't have a massive inventory to try to get rid of and they know their care is worth what they're charging. So I'm not saying that you're going to pay what's on the state of materials every time. Ask. Negotiate. And here's the other thing. 
maybe it's not about monthly fee, maybe it's about the entry fee. If it's not about uh, if not paying an entry fee, maybe it's the community fee. Maybe they tell you we have a $3,000 community fee. Well, guess what? If you pay $10,000 up front, you might get a lower monthly amount for the lifetime of your lease. And if you stay there at least 10 months, you save money. See? You see the difference what I'm talking about? So what I'm saying is don't just walk in and ask for the price and then walk out and think either I can or can't do it or won't do it. Negotiate. People have forgotten how to negotiate, haven't they? Right? We've started thinking that everything is what it is, and it's not. Now, people will ask us, Nikki, here's your commission. I'll just say, what's your commission? And I tell them, and then they say, is it negotiable? And my answer is, absolutely. I'd be more than happy to charge you 1% more. <laughs> because I don't negotiate my commission down, because we already know we charge basically the same amount everybody else charges in town, but we do more for that. So I'm not going down. If you want cheap, hire somebody else. If you want better, hire us. Right? Does that make sense? Okay. But every community is somewhat negotiable. Somewhat. The money we've saved and the equity in our home will be our legacy. Okay. I can't tell you how many people chintz out on their retirement because they want to leave their kid their house or the money that will come from their house. Now, if that's you, that's fine. But I think what's interesting is if you ask people in their 40s, 50s, 60s why they're saving for retirement, what will they tell you? Let me ask you. What would you tell me if I asked you that? Why are you saving for retirement? Say it louder. So I don't have to live with my kids. So you don't have to live with your kids. Good. What else? <laughs> to take care of myself. Okay? To travel. To travel. Okay? Anybody else? To have a quality life. To be independent. Good. So something happens, and I don't know what it is, I wish I did, but something happens at a certain point for some people where they go, the money I've saved or the money I have or the equity in my house, I want to leave to my kids. It's not a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. What I'm saying is they went from I'm going to save money for retirement to ensure my quality of life is good to I'm going to hang on to this house and I'm going to hang on to this money and I'm going to live in a cheap place who doesn't provide me care because I want my kids to have an inheritance. Now, if you call their kids, kids get a bad rap sometimes. Some kids may be greedy. I'm not saying they're not. But there are kids, young, your kids middle-aged young people out there, if you call them and say, your mom and dad want to leave their house to you, so therefore they're going to live a substandard life, those kids are going to say, that's crazy, I don't want their money, they need to do what's right for them. And then there are the adult children who will say, I really prefer my parents just stay where they are and live a miserable life because, well, that's my money. But I have a tendency to think those are fewer than the other. I really do. My kids will easily figure it out when needed. They will know what to do. Medicare will cover it. Those are three myths I lumped into one because they tend to sound like a run-on sentence. Truth, many adult children and grandchildren 
experience guilt, shame, resentment, and financial hardship around providing the right care for their parents and grandparents. And Medicare doesn't cover it. Okay, Medicaid, we'll talk about in a second. So I had a conversation, friend of a friend called me, or my friend called me and said, Nikki, my friend, who you know, is looking for a place for her grandmother who's gonna be discharged from the hospital. Okay, I sent her to one of our sponsor communities, told her that's where she needed to look into first, let's start there. She said, okay. She got there and they were having some sort of crisis at the community as a weekend. And she rang the buzzer uh, because it, it was the skilled part of the community and it was locked during these hours for safety. And she waited and then she texted my friend and said, nobody's coming to the door, I'm leaving. So she waited about five minutes. Nobody answered the door because there was a crisis. She ended up taking her grandmother someplace else, substandard, and was miserable. And it was because she had to make a decision right then. Right then. She didn't even have five minutes to wait on a better community. You guys get that? Second part of that story is the granddaughter is paying $4,500 a month right now for grandmother's care. Because the parents, her, her parents, do not have the money to do that. And grandma didn't have the money to do that. And there's no long-term care insurance. And grandma isn't going to move to a nursing community, therefore Medicaid won't pay. She needs assisted living or independent living, not nursing care. So no Medicaid, no long-term care insurance, no VA benefits, and no money. So the grandkids are paying. Granddaughter happens to be a physician. So she can. My kids not gonna be able to pay 4,500 bucks a month for me to go to a nice place. Not gonna. That's not bad. I mean, that's okay. I just they just won't. There is a magic bank account in the sky that will pay for health care and housing for people in old age. So I need not worry about. <laughs> But they are available. 
So the question earlier about what happens if I run out of money and I have no other source of funds, none of these other sources of funds are available, Medicaid is your default. The state will take care of you in a nursing home indefinitely with Medicaid, okay? But you have to be indigent, which means you're gonna spend everything you have all the way down to two or $3,000 max, including your home if you're a single person. So you have to sell everything off before, you know, Medicaid will still pay for it and then you have to do that. You have a short window of time to do that. So there are people, Karen and I talked about this, who will market to you to do what they call asset protection, which is where you take your assets and you put them in some sort of a trust account. And I'm not a trust attorney or financial planner, so I'm just going to give you my layperson's terms here. But you basically protect those assets, and then after a period of time, five years, look back period, then you can qualify for Medicaid because it looks like you're indigent, but that money is set aside. Now, I have a little bit of a moral dilemma around that. You may not, and I'm not saying you should. I'm saying I do because there are plenty of people out there who are genuinely indigent, who need Medicaid, and it's their only option. And if somebody has $5 million sitting over here in an account and is accepting Medicaid, I have a little dilemma with that. And we wonder why Medicaid is not well-funded. So just food for thought, not, not an actionable item for you, just food for thought. Then you have long-term care insurance. Long-term care insurance, can I just take a survey? How many of you have it currently? Raise your hand. Wow. Okay, that is really awesome, yeah. So I would say you're the exception to the rule in this room. These are highly educated people. You're all learning based. You're preparers, you're planners. The more of you have long-term care insurance than I would say the general population, which I think about 7% of all people over age 65, is that the number, give or take, have long-term care insurance. So long-term care insurance is usually gonna kick in if you need in-home care at your house, that's health care, or assisted living or nursing, right? It's not going to pay for you to live in independent living at a community like Whispering Creek or someplace. You're, you're not going to get long-term care insurance to pay for that. It has to be a health care need, right? You have to have, to have, you have, to have help with your ADLs, activities of daily living, okay? Then your family. And I put family on here because here's the deal. Some families rally together. And they put money together and they help their parents or their aunts or their uncles or their brothers or sisters live comfortably as best they can. So they may pay for that person to help them stay in their home. They may pay for that person to move to a community if necessary. Not all families do. Some families do. How do you know if your family even can? You have to ask. You have to communicate. My dad thinks I'm a millionaire. My dad is hilarious. He, because I'm a real estate agent, I guess, and because I drive a Lexus, I guess, I am a millionaire. And so I'm sure, absent the conversation I've had with him trying to convince him to the contrary, he would think I can help him pay for whatever he needs. The fact is, I can't. Not for a long period of time, right? Yet. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe I'll win the lottery, as Jim says. But the reality of it is I spend, I spend money on my own lifestyle, but I also 
have my own needs, right? All that thing. So the question is, are your kids able? And are you making assumptions? And would you even want them to? That's the other question, right? Would you even want them to? All right, then you got veterans benefits. We talked about that many, many times. And if you want to find out more about veterans benefits, I've given you resources on the back of that second sheet. Veterans aid and attendance for those who qualify. If you're a veteran or spouse of a veteran, you may qualify to get veterans benefits. And they have something called aid and attendance benefits. And you might be able to qualify for those, which would help offset the cost of assisted living and nursing care, or sometimes in-home care in your own home, if it's healthcare related or personal care related. There is an income requirement and so you'll want to talk to one of these people about whether or not you qualify. Then you have faith-based foundations and groups. So when I say that, um, basically what I mean is a, a good example would be like Baptist Retirement Village. They have um, scholarships, if you want to call them that, or subsidized um, units where if a person doesn't have the money, they have a certain number of apartments they make available for people. They have to apply. There's a very long waiting list. I called for one of my clients a couple years ago to ask about it because I thought for sure he'd qualify. His only income was about $700 a month Social Security and he had no equity in his house. It was going back to the bank, matter of fact. His family couldn't help him. He had no assets, so I thought for sure he'd qualify. When I called, they said, well, we have a waiting list. And I said, okay, well, let's go ahead and get him on the waiting list. She said, well, before we do, let me ask you what his income is. And I told her, and she said, he won't qualify. And she said, well, I said, what? And she said, it's based on need. I said, $700 a month is not need? And she said, Nikki, I have people living here that their Social Security checks are $236 a month. So if you're bringing in $2,000 in Social Security, you're thinking about this retirement village is the answer, be prepared to write a check. And because they do offer, but it's for, when I say indigent, I mean really indigent, right? So just be conscious of that. There are other places out there that do subsidized. They're not just faith-based, but there are places that do income-based. There are places that do um, uh, sliding scale. Lots of different things like that. There, there are not lots of them, but they're out there. I also put on your handout uh, the Oklahoma City Housing Authority. You know, we helped, it's been a while since we helped people move in there, but the Oklahoma City Housing Authority operates uh, seven, no, ten independent living communities around the city. A few on the north side, several on the south side, a couple uh, east. And they're really very nice. They're independent living. And they are, uh, they're subsidized. And so if you make, I think, I put the qualifications on there. I think it's seven, if it's single, 42,000 is your max uh, income. And if you're a couple, it's like uh, 47, 42 and 47. And so, and that's an adjustable, adjustable amount. So if you have a lot of healthcare costs, they'll adjust that income. So if your income's 50 and you have lots of healthcare costs, they'll subtract that to get your, base income. So there are options out there that are subsidized, but they are for people who truly need it. 
And then you've got the Native American tribal benefits. So um, I can't speak to that in great detail, but I do know that if you are Native American and you're on a roll, that there are certain benefits available for typically for assisted living level and nursing level. Otherwise, not so much. But just like every other program that's out there, they're struggling. And so it's by application, and the person with the highest need gets help first, which obviously is the way it usually is, okay? So those are the ways that people pay for retirement living. If there was another way, don't you think I would tell you about it? Okay, so now let's open it up. What do you want to talk about? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. How can you find out about the level of care? So give me a scenario. Are you talking about for yourself or if you were down the road? Give me a scenario. Quality of care is what you're asking more than level of care. When I think of level, I think, is it skilled? Is it independent? Got it. Okay, I'm going to call on a couple of my sponsors to answer this, and then I'll, and then I'll, um, so Chris, do we have the handheld somewhere? Okay, so quality, I would like to, I'm going to repeat the question, and you guys, if you want to contribute an answer, stand up if you're a sponsor back there. The question that Betty asked is if I'm looking at communities, and price is unrelated and the way it looks is unrelated to the quality of the care, how do I actually find out what the quality of care is in that community? Who's going first? Caitlin? And then uh, we'll get Jill and Julie. Alright, go ahead Caitlin. Caitlin's up at Bradford Village up in Edmond and she's going to be back there so you guys can hear her. But if you want to come up, that'd be great. Go ahead, John. John, Caitlin. John. Yeah. Alright. Am I the price of yeah. Alright, you guys come on up. Just go ahead and walk up here on this side so we can Yeah, go ahead. So tell them how would they figure out what quality of care is at a community? Ask lots of questions. Who? Um, ask who they ask. Sure. So ask talk to previous residents. Um, a lot of communities, I think if they're worth their salt and aren't afraid of what you're gonna find out, will give you other um, residents or resident family members that they say, yeah, this person has lived in our community for 10 years, 15 years, and our independent living, some of our residents have been there, have been there 20 plus years, and they'll tell you what their experience has been. If you're looking at assisted living, um, long-term care, you know, ask if there's a family member who's been a part of that community that you can talk to so you know you're getting an honest opinion. Um, I think some of the other ways is to look at if the staff is happy. Um, some of our staff members in Bradford's assisted living we have two nurses that work our night shift that have been a part of the Bradford Village campus for over 20 years. They love to be there. Your staff is happy. They're gonna be happy there, working there. They're gonna be taking good care of your people. So I would definitely look at how long staff has been there as well. Very good. Yeah. All right, Julie, you wanna to add to that? Sure, I think I concur completely with Caitlin, but I would add to that, um, experiential experience you know of the right. folks is definitely valuable Top um, but also we have um, there's um, state requirements uh, we have um, access you can go to, to medicare.gov there's information there say that so medicare.gov 
um, and you can go and get the most recent surveys and things like that because that's that's valuable information too. But I wouldn't use just that. Um, if you see that there's there's uh, questions about a community that you're looking at, talk to them about that. Say, I noticed that it said this. Tell me what you've done, or because we're humans in the human care business, we're all going to have the ability to maybe slide one way or the other um, anytime somebody stops by for a review, right? So can I yeah. add to that sure. from, to, in respect to all sure. of these guys that have licensed communities, okay? If they have a licensed community, Medicare.gov will have those records. And to Julie's point, there are communities that have had rough patches, we'll call them that, right? And how they handled that rough patch is as much about who they are as a community as the fact that they had a rough patch. So how they feel that question, if they avoid the question, if they deflect the question, if they shove it under the rug, then you may go, mm, I don't know how I feel about that. Right. But if they address that question head on and say, you're right, we got a citation for this, and this is what we did to correct it, and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because any one of us could have yeah. an issue at any time. Right. I mean, so I always joke about the child care thing, you know, because, you know, child care is licensed as well. And, you know, if they got it wrong because they didn't, you know, have the nap mats put away a certain way that the server wanted them to be put away, or they left medication out, those are very different, right? <laughs> it might give you concern for different reasons. Right. So, yeah. so what the violation might have been matters. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. So Good. that's it. So I echo what Julie and you said. So I could just add another website, nursinghomerating.org. So when you're looking at places and you said, how do we know what kind of quality care or what the care is, there's a lot of um, misinformation out there. If you're looking for a different for places that provide all the different levels of care, you need to understand what that is because assisted living and memory care assisted living is not skilled nursing and it's not long-term care and we are regulated. So those of us that have life care communities or CCRCs, truly are licensed and you can go to nursinghomerating.org and in Spanish Cove we can hand out a survey, our most recent survey from the health department. We're proud to say we have zero deficiencies and so you should get that. You should get an audited financial statement. You should get their surveys from the health department. We're, we're required by law to provide that and when you go to nursinghomerating.org you will see what the deficiencies are there and what Julie said it's true. Is it a care issue or is it a paperwork issue? Uh, you know, that's fairly important. So look at that. Also look at the leadership that Mickey said, you know, some places. And Can they talk to your leadership in, yeah. your, in your building? I mean, if they say, you're a marketing person, you're you're nice and I like you, but you're a marketing person. Right. I'd like to talk to somebody who is running the place. Or right. I'd like to talk to the person who changes policy. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So most places they should have, you know, open door policies where you can meet the nursing home administrator, you can meet the, the staff there, the residents there. So also ask what their occupancy rates are. If the place has a pretty high occupancy rate, it's a pretty darn good place. Yeah. So, and like Nikki said, you know, you get what you pay for. Awesome. So, yeah, Elizabeth? I would actually echo all of their sentiments exactly as well. One thing that you would really want to do is make sure that you visit these communities. Speak with people, talk with the residents, Go during the day when there's activity. And even call early in for some, some communities have their activity calendar online. Get, get there while things are going on so you can see what the activities, uh, how the community actually feels and looks. 
and talk with the residents, talk with the community, come to those events. So if you see something on the calendar that interests you, come, get to know the people that you may be living with soon. So come and visit, come ask lots of questions. The administrators always do, or always should, have an open door policy, and you can ask anything, because Nikki hit it on the head when she made it the point of its leadership is what matters. If you don't have a strong leadership with compassion and caring, it's gonna trickle down through the rest of the staff and then you're gonna feel neglected and uncared for. So if it works out here, it's gonna trickle down and then you're gonna have a wonderful community. Nikki, I just wanna add that one thing as you were talking, sure. Alyssa, that made me think, if you have a specific scenario or experience that is weighing on you, like I wanna make sure that doesn't happen to me, my loved one, my children, whatever it is, then bring that scenario. Say, you know, I have this happen at XYZ for, you know, so-and-so in my family, and I wanna know if that were to happen, what, how would it be handled? Don't leave the witness. Don't tell them what you expect the answer to be. Right. Just present the concern. So can I, before you, oh, go ahead. Well, and also, you know, you're bound by a contract wherever you move, if you move to a community, and make sure it's all spelled out in the contract. And when you're looking at places, compare contract to contract so that you know going in up front what you're going to be signing up for because it has to be spelled out in the contract. Well, and so to, on that note, let me ask this question because that was kind of what I was thinking was sometimes quality of care is, is not an issue of whether or not they're providing a quality of care. It's whether or not your expectation is being right. met, right? So if you have an expectation that when you push the call button, let's say you're in a nursing community or an assisted living, if you have an expectation that when you hit the call button, somebody show up within a specified period of time, and for me it would be about 3.5 seconds. <laughs> and if that's your expectation and they show up, it takes them 10 minutes every time. Then, and you have a complaint, and people will. They'll say, they didn't show up, it took them an hour. Well, if you took the video cameras on there, and it shows 10 minutes versus an hour, it may have felt like an hour, but it was 10 minutes. So how do they deal with that kind of thing? Well, you know, things like that you can ask. You can ask, what is your response time? Yeah. How many nurses are available if I hit my call button at any given moment? How many right. staff members are going to come running? Exactly. And if they're in independent living, you're going to say what? None. Well, and another question is, is when you expectation call, when you're in independent living, you know, when your emergency call system is activated, if you're in a community that has an emergency call system in independent living, is it responded to by me, somebody that might be CPR certified? You don't want me responding because I'll have I'll have, I, I'll make the crisis worse. Um, you, you want to? I mean, in my so opinion, show up with a glass of wine and say, "Hey, no." So you know, you want to know how is that going to be handled? And I can speak about Spanish Go. You're going to be responded to by a nurse, by a nurse, not somebody that's just trained in CPR or whatever. So it goes back to expectations. Yeah, what are your expectations? Yeah. And of course, you know, it's based on many different things. So right. Well, even in, a, in in an independent community, those expectations have to be answered as well. So a lot of people think, oh, I can move in independently. I, 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 I. But when you fall. When you have an incident, if you fall more than once, people automatically think, what? I'm going to get kicked out. I must not tell anybody. Let's not pull a cord. Right. They're going to kick me out of here. They know that I need to use a walker. 
So what? You're not going to get kicked out of most communities. Guess what? We'd rather someone use a walker and assistance uh, device so that you can be there longer and stronger and, and you can live independently with additional care until you need to take the next step. Yeah. Does that answer your question, Betty? Yes. Yes? Okay. So I want to take Patrick's question. Is it related to these guys? Maybe. Ask it. Life care, you three. Life care 
needs for life at all levels of care. So if somebody tells you they're a life care community and you ask the question because you're a good consumer, so that means then that you have skilled nursing. So if I go to the hospital and I discharge and need to go into rehab, I can come back here. And if the answer is no, then your next comment needs to be, so you're really not life care. And if they say, yes, we are, you can live here for the rest of your life, ask the question again until you finally get the right answer. Because I'm going to be honest with you, if they're giving you that answer and they say they're life care and they don't have skilled and nursing home care and they sell you on that product, then that's fraud as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's not good business, Jeff. Yeah, I would agree. I think the, from a consumer standpoint, so how do you know what questions do you ask? Yeah. I would say, okay, I'm understanding you to say that I can stay here for life and that you can care for me for life. So can you show me in the contract where it, where it shows that? And then may I also see a copy of your license? Because I'm understanding that you say that you have nursing here and that it is for life but I don't see a nursing facility area on your campus. Well, Julie, isn't that part of the problem too? Yes. Is people don't ask to tour that part of the community. Sure, nobody wants to look at that. Nobody wants to go into the nursing <laughs> part. <laughs> I, 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 are we doing like this? Yeah. There's three or four of you here, and I won't call you out, but you know who you are, <laughs> who have told me, Nikki, I went and visited communities, and I said, great, so you're telling me you visited every level of care, and you go, oh no. No, just the independent or just the assisted. And you look down because you know I'm going to call you out. Because they'll never need that level. Because, oh my heavens, we may never need that level. Right? Yeah. So, Elizabeth, do people live in your community forever? I want to just touch on that. Give her a mic. Do they live there forever? Some of them do. Yep, some of them do. Um, in our communities, we do allow our residents to age in place, and that is their home. If they can be there safely, then that can be their home forever. And so it just Can they bring hospice in? They absolutely can. They can bring hospice in and live there. That That's one of the things that constitutes living there safely. You have someone who can make sure that you're comfortable, you're not hurting, you're not in pain, you're not wandering, you know. Um, yeah. it's, 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 it's there for you to be there for life if you need it. We just don't offer the additional skill care like these other communities do. And so if it can't be brought in, correct, and they can't live there safely, then they do need to move on. Correct. And you guys, your staff helps helps facilitate. We do. We, we, refer, we refer to a lot of the communities in our area. And so when families or residents come to us and say, hey, look, you know, I've fallen at the hospital. I'm not going to be able to, I, I can't come back. Right. So a lot of times they will go from the hospital and go to that skilled care community for the rehab. And then they get strong enough and they come back. Most of the time that actually happens. In the cases where it doesn't happen, then we work with the family, we work with you, and we will start referring to other communities and let, you know, recommend that you go tour those communities so you know what level of care you need there. You don't just call them and say, uh, so so um, we're going to need your apartment next week because we have some guys moving in, so peace out. Well, doesn't everybody? Right. Yeah. No, 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 no. Nobody's ever left homeless. Right. Nobody's ever left homeless. Caitlin, did you want to add to that? sure that everybody was understanding, you know, kind of the difference in terms because throw out life care and health care benefits, long-term care, and there's a lot of different terminology. 
So just to be really clear about kind of what all that means, and you know, it may be possible that even we are using the terminology a little differently. Um, like at Bradford Village, um, we do have independent living, assisted living, and then we have a healthcare center that has both skilled and long-term care. Our life care contracts, which again, we use to mean that if you were to out, if you move in with an entry fee at the independent living level, and even if you stay in independent living, if you need assisted living, if you need health care, like long-term or nursing home care, um, if you were to outlive your assets through no fault of your own, we'll continue to provide care for you for the remainder of your life. Now, that does not include, however, our a skilled benefit. The skilled is typically paid for by your health care insurance. So skilled is like you know short-term rehab. It's not that long-term nursing home care. So when you're really digging into talking to communities about their contracts and stuff, make sure that the word, the terms you are using, the terms that I'm using as your uh, salesperson are, are the same, um, so that you're all on the same page. So just make sure you're really clear on, on how they're using their terminology and what exactly does that mean and what exactly does that provide for you. Very good, yeah, and that will also make a difference whether or not their long-term care insurance covers, right? Sure. The terms that they're using. Yeah, good, good question, Patrick. All right, you guys just stay up here because I don't know what questions we're gonna get. Yes? If you have a long-term, the highest level of care. Right. Let's call it nursing care. And those spots are full. And you are a resident and all of a sudden you need it. What happens? Oh, good question. Okay. So I'm going to repeat it back. It'll be for D3. So the question is, if I'm in a community that offers all levels of care and I'm a life care resident of that community and I need nursing care, and currently all of the nursing care spots are full, what happens to that person? Well, if, if, and once again, we can only speak on behalf of our own. So if we were full, we would help find another arrangement temporarily. And that, that's a big reason why we do not, at Spanish Code, accept people really from the outside. And we just did a big expansion, and Nikki Bucklew and her team are getting ready to move residents because you know, they're, you're right, people are living longer and needing more need, having more long-term care issues. So we just added a bunch more skilled nursing and long-term care rooms, assisted living, memory care. So you can prepare ourselves yeah. to make sure that we can stay. And I'm always asking, because we get calls every day from people that need long-term care. And if they're not a Spanish Cove resident, they're not gonna, we'll call maybe some other people and let them know about other options, but a Spanish Cove, that's a contract contractual commitment we make to the residents to so when you say so with other arrangements yeah find what an other okay so if for some reason we were full our nursing staff would be in their apartment or cottage helping them provide that care in their apartment it, or, yes. or in assisted living oh yeah, yeah absolutely all right but, you know but that's a reason why it's been years since we've allowed a private pay somebody to come in from the outside because we want to guarantee that we contractually can meet that obligation to our residents so how do you guys handle that Julie? Um, similarly, uh, we are a younger community, so we do still accept folks from the outside when the space provides, uh, or when we have uh, space available. Um, our contract states, if you have a life care contract, it states that it is our obligation to care for you if we do not have room at our expense until we have space available. So you're covered. 
Um, and it may, you know, if, if that means that we have to outsource you to another community until we have room because the level of care you need is beyond what can be done in your own home, then we will do that. Um, we don't do it very often because we have a very good team and we all have people on our radar. They pay attention. All these communities, like when I've called and asked about availability for right. an outside person, right. they go, well, we don't today, but we have somebody discharging to go back to their apartment tomorrow, right. and we'll have a place tomorrow. And right. it also depends on male or female, doesn't it? Correct. If yeah. it's a semi-private. Semi-private, yeah. right. Um, because we have both private and semi-private because Medicare rules have changed, but at the time, yeah. you know, we built that. Okay. So, Caitlin, how do you guys handle it if you don't have space? So, um, like Julie was saying, I think how Concordia does, Bradford Village does um, accept people straight to our assisted living or healthcare center. Um, you don't have to be a part of our independent living to enter those levels of care, but as a life care community, just like Julie was saying, we provide care. You have to um, find the space. We you have figure to it out. Yeah. So, my almost we've never had that issue at Bradford. It is always like, um, yeah. like he was saying, somebody moves out. Um, you know, we've been able to make arrangements to care for that person. And guys, keep in mind, when we're talking about the nursing level of care, people don't usually stay in that level of care for very long. It's usually either an end-of-life issue, they're, they're going there to pass on, or they're going there to rehab, in which case there's a care plan in place which says they're going to be here approximately three weeks, and it's a hip replacement, and then they're going to be moving. So these guys have it down. They know. Um, it's not a perfect system by any means, I wouldn't say, but they, they kind of know. And so again, if you're going to a life care community, the guarantee, and that's an important question to ask when you're there, what happens if? Right. Because just because these three answered it the way they did, yeah. you want to know, and I would want to know, if there's not space, let's just say the stars all aligned in the wrong constellation and there isn't any room in the end. What community would I be going to if I had to go someplace else? And, and I can't ask them that today because, by the way, today and tomorrow are different. Because whoever they may outsource to will change based on the level of care that community provides. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good question, though. All right. So I have two questions. One back here, and then I'll get yours. Yep. Usually it's about a week. 
um, you can stay longer than that. It's like a hotel arrangement. It's like a hotel arrangement with care. With, with care. Um, so I recently just had a situation where a family, um, their mother was discharging um, quickly. They had to find a place by the next day. And so ended up coming to us um, temporarily for a respite stay for about two weeks um, while they um, figured out what they needed to do. They bought themselves a little bit of time. Short term. Short term. And um, ultimately, mother ended up needing um, higher level of care than we were able to provide long term. So we helped them find a place that's better and more appropriate for her. Um, but they could have very well you know, stayed long term with us. So, um, so ask about respite care. It okay. Is a so in addition to that, let's make sure we talk about one of our sponsors, Bill Murr with Compass Senior Living. And Bill's, is Bill here today? Bill's not here today. Uh, so that Bill Murr's business is what you just said. When pe discharge planners, if they're not referring to people like Bill, and there's only a couple here in Oklahoma City that I know about, uh, Rick and Denise Gutenberger uh, do that for a living. They're a, a business at Bill Murr. Bill Murr's one of our sponsors. Here's what they do. They will get your phone call from the hospital saying, my dad's going to discharge tomorrow. They will meet with you or talk with you by phone get all the details, and then they will scout the appropriate place as best they can. They'll look for geography, they'll look for budget, they'll look for care, and they'll call if they don't already know. They are so in touch with a lot of these places, they may know who has available, what they call available beds, and then they'll say, here are the places that have availability, you need to go look at them, I'll meet you there. They will walk you through the tour, together, whether it's assisted living or nursing, either way, or memory care, and then they are paid by the community. Their service is free to the consumer. The community pays them a referral fee if they end up moving there. So it doesn't cost you anything. And, we all and they all work with them. And so, yeah, it is possible to find a place that you are comfortable with in a day. Um, I've seen it done a lot. Um, but if you're just not sure and you need time, then know that respite is an option. Or I have thought about that. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna turn the table in that conversation yeah. though. Um, one thing you can do for yourselves is go shop mm -hmm. before you need it. Yes. Yeah. Go look, and that way, if you're laying in the bed and your daughter has flown in from Chicago and she's freaking out trying to figure out what the next step is because she's got a board meeting and she's got to be back in town in two days. This has happened to you? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Never happened to me. Um, no, but the reality is, can you imagine the peace of mind that it brings your spouse or your family members if you say, hey, if they have availability, I'd like to go to X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I've done my homework. Yeah. In this and, order. And guess what? If you're in a position where you can't verbalize that because whatever's going on is so significant that you can't communicate, maybe if you have it written down somewhere, like in your in gift book, book. <laughs> that you can get more information from the villages on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do your homework. You know, Julie, I had this conversation with a family about two months ago or so. I got a call from a family member, extended family member. She brought her nephews in to talk to me, who had a mom, her sister, who is living in her own home, she's 92, and she's becoming, it's becoming difficult for her to take care of herself. And these three men sat there in that room and said to me, we want her to stay at home. And I said, I don't blame you. I think that's great. And 
you're going to need to set up some arrangements for that. So we started talking about that. And then I said, let me fast forward for you. Here's what's going to happen. It happens all the time. I see it every day. They're going to fall or become ill. Everyone, by, by the way, is there anybody here that's not planning to die? <laughs> I, I, this is an honest answer. You're either going to fall ill at some point or you're going to fall on the floor at some point and require hospitalization. I told these three men, grown men, you need to be finding places for when you get the phone call so that you know where to ask them to discharge your mom and you don't have to do that last minute. Three weeks went by, I talked to the lady who set up the appointment and I said, well, have they done their homework? And she said, no, of course not. Guess what happened the following week? She fell. She was found out in her yard, on the ground, banged up pretty good. The neighbor called 911. She went to the hospital. Now they're trying to find a place for her to live. Last minute. So why do people not visit these places? Um, it's because most of us are in denial or we it's not going to happen. So we call it in our office the 2 o'clock phone call or people that show up in our office at 2 o'clock. At Spanish Cove, you know, that's why you all are here is because you're planning and trying to educate yourselves. All of us work a little bit differently, and I can speak that our community is more for planners because you can't move in during the crisis situation. And when you show up, we're going to have to tell you now, and we'll try to help you. We'll try to help, you know, see okay. if Julie has openings or other places. But something to also think about, and my head is just spinning with ideas, right. is that we do try to help you. Every one of us want to help you. So we are full of knowledge and information. Even though we can't probably help you in that situation for your dad, we can try to provide other names and numbers and resources to you. And that's why it's so important to plan and educate yourselves. Like, we have a waiting list for many of our floor plans. So we have something called the Spirit Club, and people are planning ahead because also your insurance doesn't also, it's not always accepted at every skilled nursing facility. Some people think, oh, Medicare will pay for it, but not it's sure. just like a doctor. Some doctors don't take your insurance. So there are so many things to really research. So visit independent living communities, visit assisted, visit nursing, visit memory care. Now memory care is a little harder. They don't like to tour you through memory care because it's disruptive to the people who live there. But you do need to ask questions about it. I had a hand up uh, back here. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, it kind of is connected with what you just said. Uh, as the senior age, Alzheimer's is becoming a huge, huge problem. Now, how, how common is it for care centers to have a professional Alzheimer's unit? Uh, Good question. So with dementia and Alzheimer's becoming more and more of an issue as people live longer, what uh, can we expect in terms of how communities are handling that and what they offer to support that? Um, I know Spanish so We have secure areas yeah. to help people with Alzheimer's, yeah. and we've just added more memory care area to our community. We just added 21 more assisted living rooms to be able to provide memory care to the residents. And you're right, I mean, we do whatever we can to keep people in independent living for as long as they want to be and are safely able to do so. But we guarantee to provide that care if they have dementia or Alzheimer's. All three of you guys do, right? The only other thing I would think is valuable to know is that, um, that in our industry, we recognize the trends. And I can't speak for every community, um, but I can tell you that in our community, every single staff member is trained in dementia. 
I don't care if you're a dishwasher, if you're a handyman, or if you're a salesperson, or a driver, I mean, all of us, everybody is trained in dementia care. Because recognizing how you need to communicate with somebody who might be going through that, working with the families, and then also um, just warning signs, things that we need to be aware of so that we can de-escalate a situation or care for that person in a proper manner. And that should give you some, a measure of relief knowing that that's something that we're doing. I want to speak to the issue of memory care out there that stands alone by itself. Uh, there are communities that are built that are called memory care communities. That's what they are designed to be and do. Um, again, the, the senior living industry is, uh, I'm going to call it the wild, wild west right now. Right? Some of these guys have been around a long time. All of you have. But some of the new up-and-coming communities are, they're testing things, right? They're, they're testing things. And so I think that it's a huge, huge responsibility on your part, especially if you're a couple and you're still married and something happens to your other spouse, again, it goes back to planning ahead, is asking yourself, well, if I go to a memory care community, what does that look like? I have, I've had three lunches with one friend whose wife needs some sort of additional care, either somebody to come into the home, somebody, uh, she, either that or they need to move, where he can get some respite while she needs care. She's beginning to wander. She's still driving, even though she gets lost. He put a GPS tracker on her car because he knows when she gets lost. And my question is, what happens when she runs the stoplight because she has forgotten that red means stop? So he is in denial, and she's happily oblivious. And the question is, do we do standalone memory care and she moves by herself? Or do we do a continuing care community where he can live in independent and she can transition as she needs it? Or do we stay at home and have somebody come in? Mm -hmm. And you can't know the answer to right, the, right, the right answer until you've actually evaluated all those options, right? And so many people won't even go to the communities that I recommend and actually do their research. They won't walk in the door. They won't even walk in the door. The, the best thing you can do for yourself is to walk in the door and ask the questions. It's called education, right? I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you ever put your kids in daycare. Shame on me. I did from the minute I could. Um, and you too. Thank you. I appreciate that. So... Uh, can I please go back to work? <laughs> but I researched those daycares before I just dropped my kid off. I researched them. I went in. I watched kids. I watched the teachers work with them. I didn't just show up one day and go, bye, honey. We owe it to the people that we care about to have that, that knowledge. And if it's just you, by the way, if you're the one, then you need to do your advanced research because maybe I can assure you your kids don't want to go and visit these places. You know how I many they're going to go visit? One or none. I was going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think the average is two. And it's going to be the one closest to their house. Okay? So anyway, we make light of this, but isn't it real? Right? So it's not, so how you pay for it you can't possibly know, because again, everyone's financial situation is different. How do you know if you can afford it until you've asked those questions, 
right? And so you should visit every single one of these communities that we have represented here. That would make sense for you geographically or even not geographically. Use these guys as your guinea pigs. Even if you don't want to live south, go visit Village on the Park so you have a point of comparison. Even if you don't want to live north, go visit Concordia. Even if you don't want to live in Edmond, go visit Bradford Village. It gives you a point of comparison. Does that make sense? All right, I'm going to let these guys go, and then I'm going to say one, one more last thing yep. is don't wait till it's too late. Yeah. Yep. That is what we see in our industry more often than not. Like these ladies said, if you come to them in a crisis mode, then we're going to have to say, I'm sorry, we can't help you. We can try to find someone else for you. But please don't wait to the last minute to make a choice or to um, have a plan. Have a plan in place. It's, it's written down. It's an emergency preparedness. Okay. Give them a hand, you guys, real quick. Thank you. resources that they brought up here and make sure you know how to access them. Uh, Perry, stand up and wave at the group. Everybody, this is Perry Peterson. Say hi, Perry. Hi. Uh, Perry is a, a, a regular attendee of the Truth Series and he brought it to my attention many months back that he has the ability to refer people to long-term care insurance options through his financial services agency. And so, uh, and I don't want to state that. Did I say that correctly? Yeah. And he gave me some great materials, educational materials about long-term care insurance that you might find valuable. He doesn't have them with him here today because I sprung this on him. So Perry can be reached um, by the number on your flyer thing, uh, your resource flyer. And so shoot him an email or give him a call if you would like to talk with him. And the reason I, I would say start with him is because he's unbiased. He's one of you. He's one of us. He's a learner, he's an educator, and so therefore he can get you to the right place. Obviously talk to any of our other financial folks back there. Okay, so the gift. Every single one of these folks mentioned doing your research and writing it down somewhere. And Villages OKC does a, back here in Maryland, Villages OKC does a, a thing called the gift. And she's spoken about it here before where they work together with Concordia and some of the other vendors to do a binder and it's a workshop that you go through and they're I think the Villages OKC members right Marilyn can yes, do this yep and if you're a Villages OKC member you go through and you create this binder and it stands for gathering information for transition gathering information for transition which means it's your kids binder or your spouse's binder or your sister or brother's binder that you hand to them and it's basically created either for them or they create it for you. I'm going to create one for my family. And so it's when something happens, a fall, a crisis, something, then you have all the information you need, including their wishes, assuming that you've had previous conversations with them. Um, and then, of course, I want to just point out Villages OKC because in this session, a lot of the questions were about retirement living as if you're going to move somewhere. There are some of you that will never move, you don't want to move, you're firmly planted, you've made the decision that you want to stay put, totally fine, and in order to be able to do that effectively, you've got to surround yourself with support. You've got to. And if it's not family, if you don't have family or your family is unavailable to you, then why wouldn't you go out and, and 
create a layer of support. Some people do that through their church. Some people do that through volunteer groups. The Villages OKC, that's what it's designed for, is it's designed for you to be a part of a group who will, who their goal is to help you age successfully wherever you live, wherever you live, whether it's at your house or in a senior community or with your kids or whatever. And this group of people, they're learning-based, they're like-minded, they're you, they're your peers. And so please go visit with Villages OKC. Um, on the resource sheet, you'll see a num several numbers there. The one thing we didn't talk about, which I want everybody to know about, is daily living centers. The daily living centers are adult day care. And I know that sounds a little bit condescending maybe, or, or makes people sound infantile. It isn't meant to. It literally is a care center for people who need, for their family needs to go to work, and their parent lives with them, and they need a place for them during the day, and then after work they go pick them up and they go back home. It's a great place, especially for people with cognitive disabilities, because they're active, they're engaged, they're not sitting in a recliner in their house watching Fox and Friends all damn day long. You think I might know somebody that does that? I do. Several. Okay. Or whatever channel of their choice, but it seems to be Fox and Friends. So, Medicaid, the, the VA, your VA aid attendants, long-term care insurance, I'm going to see how things are. Okay. And then down at the bottom of the resources, I put our information for independent living uh, referrals and Bill Murr with Compass Senior Living for referrals like you talked about, for assisted living and long-term care, memory care, and he also can help you with independent living options as well. So. Did anybody learn anything today that they didn't know when they came, when they got here? Yeah? Good. I love it. All right. Please fill out your eval. And I know the one thing that I want you to do sometime today, because I know none of you are going to leave here and go to lunch. Or maybe after lunch. Or at lunch. Write down your action items. We already gave you some. We gave you a cheat sheet. And so on your action item on the back of that resource page, don't give that to Jim. He doesn't want it. Keep it with you and make sure you do your action items because if you don't take some action, then you just wasted an hour and a half of your life. All right? So I don't want a hand for me, but I want you to give yourselves a hand for being here today. Appreciate you guys for your willingness to have a conversation. Yes, Carl. Next month's topic. Okay. July, we're going to do the truth about palliative care and hospice. And let me just say this, guys. We put it out there. We're going to talk about hospice. We've done it before, but we, we lied to you, and you showed up anyway, and then we did it. This time, we're telling you what we're going to talk about. If we show up next month, and the room is not at least this full, we're going to just cancel it and we're going to get on the phone and call everybody. <laughs> I'm just joking. We would never do that. But here's what I mean. It, you have got to come here about it because you, those of you who are in the room who think that you're going to stay in place and you're never, ever moving, ever, 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 if you're not here next month, that will not happen if you don't know about hospice. Do you hear me? Because you'll end up in the hospital. Somebody will call 911. And when they call 911, that's where you're going, whether you like it or not. 
So you need to know about hospice, you need to understand palliative care, and we're going to have Matt, where's Matt? Matt's back here, he and his team with Oklahoma Hospice is going to speak. We're going to talk about not just what it is, but what you need to know about it, the pricing, how it works with Medicare, all that stuff, all right? Okay, have a wonderful rest of your day, and if you have friends that want to come, remember we're going to do a repeat performance, performance next week on the south side.